0: Yep.
1: in the hotel room, open everything up, Valtrax left at home. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> it really sucks. Like, I'm talking decon sucks. Wow. That's horrible sucks. But you know what doesn't suck? How you can make... Decon suck less using first line decons, hybrid decon. They are revolutionizing revolutionizing the decon process with their bar method of blot, apply, and remove using wet and dry decon.
1: Which means no more rigging, no more hoses. All you got to do is find a large enough area to set it off to the side and set the system up. The system is compact. You got to toss it in the back of a chief's truck.
0: So do your own recon at MakeDeconSuckLess.com or visit them at FirstLineTech.com because First Line Technology is making decon suck less.
1: Oh, yes. Hello, Hazmat World. We are rarely in the same room. This would be probably the third time. Yeah, I would... would. And this is weird because now i'm looking at you instinctively instead of looking at the camera oh, look at the camera look at man. the camera you're here yes. this is going to mess Stay me up all focused day we're <laughs> doing this but we are we are we are doing it live for a special reason and a special purpose uh, we've been invited down to fredericksburg with first line to come tour their facility uh, do a couple interviews with them which we're really excited to get to we'll do the interviews later on Yep. Uh, but we got to see their facility they're allowing us to set up live in their facility. So, I mean, we're recording this. If you're listening to it, it's not live. It's already been recorded.
0: But we're here live, here and now. Yes, and um, we have a great two episodes. It's a two-parter. What makes a good training facility? Um, Because we've been in... I don't want to say crappy, because it's not crappy. Uh, Some places have parking lots. And we've been to um, insanely amazing facilities that have... It's like Disneyland. But what makes any place a good training facility. What, what, just real quick, like
1: Disneyland? Is it, like, how like Disneyland has that one training facility
0: that you're that, referencing? <laughs> that, like, tell me about Disneyland. Because okay. I didn't see it, but you've seen it. That one um, training facility is up in the hills, and it was actually put together by the people that made uh, Universal Studios. So when you're talking about, like, ridiculous um, props and sound stages. It is like you're at a ride in Disneyland. It's, it's, a, it's another level. It's probably the coolest one I've ever seen. If you guys want to look it up, it's called uh, Hazmat City in LA County. Very, very cool.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's one I, I have yet to go to. But for the most part, we're going to be kind of talking today about tips to have a good training facility. Um, even if you're absolute bare bones, there are things that you can do to make, make the learning experience as well as the teaching experience the utmost... Um, receptive to the students and the instructors as well and it kind of all starts off with the classroom right the classroom is going to be our primary hub for everything uh even if you're doing hands-on everything kind of starts in the classroom and one of the first things that's super super critical and probably the most annoying to both guest instructors as well as setting it up is going to be the the av equipment and the av equipment it, there's so many different facets of the AV equipment, and if one of them fails, it can literally send your entire class into a down spiral. Um, and we're not just talking about like the technical setup and the technical connections and the buttons and the wires and, and crap like that, but just thinking about something like a, a comfortable view for everybody in the room, right? I need to be able to make sure that everybody can see everything at any moment in time. People aren't straining, so when you're thinking about how AV gets set up, you need to look at it from the perspective of every student in the room, as well as your instructor.
0: I like that. Um, what I will say, all right, I'll, I'll ask you the question. Okay. Do you like multiple TVs or one projector screen? I much prefer multiple TVs. Okay. Do they have to be
1: gigantic. No, they don't have to be gigantic. They have to be comfortable for the student to be able to see. And if you're going to do smaller TVs, they also need to be set in such a way where I can be in front of the classroom teaching and I'm not blocking what the student experience is seeing. So they're seeing both me and the TV at the same time.
0: Fair enough. I like that. They have to, and, and you know what the other thing is they have to work easily.
1: I I prefer things that are difficult in a struggle. It seems to be. It seems to just kind of concur with my life that it it works better if I have to struggle to get to it. But yes, uh, nothing is more the heart pounding experience you have as a guest instructor walking into a facility and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, we have the old you know nineteen eighty four connection to this computer." You're like, "Come
0: on." Awesome.
1: Yeah, that that's that's never good. But you know, speaking of ease of function, right? We can also talk about connecting outside equipment. Um, you know, as a guest instructor that walks into a lot of facilities, the ability to connect with various things is 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 it's really super critical. Mm-hmm.
0: Especially with like a lot of things having phone apps. That's I'm gonna say that's probably one of the hardest things to get to connect is like screen mirroring. On the phone. On, I don't know. The, I know. Oh, just connect it with the Apple cable and all that stuff. It never works right. I'm going to say if, if anybody out there is listening to this, uh, please take five minutes and figure out how to do that shit because that doesn't work. Um, but, you know, you, you
1: turn around and you, and you sit and you go, okay, well, it, it's a phone. Why do you need to connect your phone? More and more of the stuff that we access in the field is going through our yeah, phone, right? right? We have things like uh, your ERDSS might be, is something you might want to train on. Uh, we're here at First Line today, right? They have an they incredible app. app experience on their phone. Uh, and in order to show the class what you're doing, yes, everybody could go on their phone. But how many times are you walking around a classroom where you're trying to teach on the phone and somebody's going, Oh, mine's not doing it. And then you got to walk over, you got to look through their phone, you got to look. If you have your phone accessible to everybody else through the big screen, you don't have to do any of that. It's easy, it flows, it's smooth. Phones are not going anywhere. If your classroom is not equipped to be able to mirror a phone, you are missing out tremendously. Right. And
0: I will, I know we're going to come back to this, but um, access to like YouTube, yeah, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to, I, and a new trend in just PowerPoints. If you use that thing, is is the um, the ability of lightening up the file by referencing a YouTube channel. So instead of embedding the actual video file, you actually just give the reference to YouTube, and therefore it's a very thin, lightweight file now, and it's not like you need a freaking hard drive. But the thing is, like a lot of places, they either have crappy internet or they have like such a firewall. And I understand the IT component of this thing, but at the same time, maybe make a small workaround where YouTube is is whitelisted on that. Right. Especially now, you know, you, you get these
1: people who are, this is the problem when you have, you know, 60, 70 year old people that are like afraid of the Internet and they don't really understand the, what they're, what the limitations are or how they're limiting a class by being like, oh, no, our HR department says that we can't have that. It, it's, it's, a, it's a total waste of time. Right. Kind of mirroring the phone. And you like that? Mirroring the phone? I like that. Uh, is overhead camera function. Right? How many times have you been in front of a class with, say, a tiny little meter, and because I don't have a blown-up version of that meter, I'm trying to push buttons and show them how to use it, and yet the furthest student is 30, 40 feet away from me? So to be able to have overhead camera functions where I can take the meter, I can take the device, and I can display it in large format on, hopefully, multiple screens... Uh, it allows me to be able to to, to give them a better experience, uh, understand the buttonology, understand the features and the functions of the equipment that we're dealing with. And we deal with a lot of handheld devices. So an overhead camera function for anybody who's doing a hazmat <laughs> class is an absolute
0: must. All right. So I've been to a bunch of classrooms and they have the little PTZ camera up on the top and you're like, oh, it's great. Can we use this? to so like, now nah, it was installed in like COVID and uh, nobody knows how to use it. Right. And so I'm like, dude, that that camera can be really, really useful for us. And you couple that, you know, during the COVID era with like Internet function, like the fact that an a classroom in today does not have Internet is is just about unacceptable at this point, Um, you know. We're constantly looking up information on your phones. What do you? Nobody says, "Oh, let's break out the ERDSs." So I, I, I'm sorry, ERDSs. I mean, like the NIOSH or the, the book. Yeah, you might have the books, but everybody's using their phone. That's what today is. So, the informa- information that is gathered from the internet shouldn't be limited by this. It, this, a lot of people, and I'll say. uh the previous generation was very anti internet in, in the, classroom. I think, um, Oh man, I'm going to get some fire on this one, but hope um, so. because um, they couldn't be called out. If they said something false, that couldn't fact check them in real time.
1: Yeah. I think there is definitely a fear among, you know, you know, people are, they don't embrace that idea either. <laughs> no. Like if, if I know this is not the topic of a good training facility, but you know, if, if you do now have the ability to be called out, not maliciously, but sometimes it's just people trying to understand, they want that extra depth of layer of knowledge. And, you know, when you have, as an instructor who's been, you know, you, you you're teaching, you see lots of videos, you may not be able to answer that question specifically, but there could be uh, an answer online. There could be a video online. There could be a tutorial online. There could be something online that's going to provide you aid in answering a question that you weren't expecting necessarily for that class. That internet connection also brings you one step further in being able to answer questions that are sort of part of the class, but not really, and helping the student understand better. Or you get that group of people that just they don't understand the way that you're teaching, so you you have to show them a different point of view. You have to show them a different method and if you can't connect to the internet you are extremely limited in your ability to present off the topic information
0: yep um i will say sound sound um, you think and we both have voices that project so i really don't use a sound system unless it's a very large room but um i hate when we first started the podcast i couldn't stand my voice like what you think I still can't stand your voice (laughs) I can't stand my voice my wife can't stand my voice Um, the thing is like what you think you sound like is not what you actually sound like to other people and uh, when you're listening to yourself in the headphones it it is very different but you have to practice with the sound system like a lav mic or something like that in order to not have it distract you on a constant basis so if you do have the room or the size or the venue type that you need microphoning on, um, you need to work on this. And you have to have, like even right now, there's a slight echo in this room. But you can change some parameters on the microphone system to kind of negate that by using things like noise gates and stuff like that. Uh, it's a pretty simple thing, but you got to do it beforehand. You can't start this like the day of. Right.
1: Preparation is key. Now, I'm going to sound really Did kind you
0: say of...
1: No, preparation is key. Oh, okay. Don't use preparation H as a key. Actually, both not ways. Don't it's use preparation H it. as a key, and don't use a key as preparation H. Yeah, that wouldn't work. It <clears throat> does not. That will not work in either direction. <laughs> I'm going to sound really bougie, mm. really bougie on this next one, okay? Go. A working HVAC system. Ah. As we sit in a warehouse where we have to turn off the air conditioning <clears throat> to do this show— it is starting to warm up. That that warmth, that as it starts to heat up, you know, hazmat is difficult enough to teach without fighting the temperature, right? So, you know, you get in a classroom that's 95 degrees, 436% humidity, and you will be losing your students. You're gonna lose your train of thought. You're gonna lose your ability to focus on getting the point across and being as engaging as possible. It is super, super critical uh, to get... Every little bit out of your students and your instructors to be able to maintain a comfortable
0: temperature in your, in your classroom condition. And I will even throw in there that um, when you're doing outside ops, even on a cool day, um, being able to come into a nice, cool classroom as a, a refuge or recovery area is chef's kiss. I love yes, that. Yes, yes. Um,
1: the instructor's point of view. Right, um, when you're setting up a classroom, when you're trying to set up how all of this is is going to function, uh, think about how the instructor is going to actually turn around and teach. how are they going to maintain a span of control uh, over the the, the classroom? Uh, ideally, you want the students in a spot where you're kind of have them in a, you as an instructor can be in a central location and the instructor can have really good control over the classroom without having to move 30, 40 feet in one direction just to engage a student.
0: Yes. Um, This classroom that we're actually sitting in, it's kind of more of a square configuration. I love these ones, but Mike and even the New York City one, (laughs) the New York City one is like, it's like 20 wide by like four deep so it's a very wide room and um that's kind of a harder room to engage in because of just like you're you're running laps left and right as opposed to projecting towards the rear
1: no joke uh a couple of weeks a couple months ago i was up in a a state in new england the classroom had to be a hundred feet wide and there was two students what like a two rows that just spanned all across i couldn't see the stu- i it was anyway i won't get i won't get angry on air <laughs> right um span of control, right? The concept of span of control, super critical in a classroom with a hands-on or group activity happening. As an instructor, I want to be able to maintain that span of control over all the groups. I need to be able to understand what's happening on one side of the classroom while I'm focused on helping one
0: of the groups. I love it. And then you have your larger space, right? So it allows for movement of good instructors. Personally, uh, I find it to be more engaging to be near a student that has a question. So You're having a more intimate conversation with them. And also being able to stand next to a a problem child is, I I call it the Thanksgiving dinner uh, operation. If you're going to have a fight with somebody at Thanksgiving dinner, you sit right next to them and it takes the fangs away. If you sit far away, they're ready to get up and and go knuckle town. So, um, yeah, do that. And and you could, sandwiching people up in small spaces, I understand that not everybody has the luxury of having a large space, but you try. How about just the ability to
1: do a demo, right? When you're thinking about how to how to span the classroom out, the ability to do that demonstration uh, and controlling the classroom at the same time, that is super important. And when you're setting a facility up, when you're thinking about how to do trainings, um, the demos have to be able to be easily stored easily accessed, and easily set up within the classroom. No demonstration is going to occur if I've got to go 30 feet down a hallway, get all the material, and then bring it back.
0: You know, speaking of training, Mike. Yes. How about you unlock your team's potential by training with us? Ooh, well, I would have to ask then, like, why choose us as a training partner? Well, it's funny um, because I have a couple of examples. Expertise that we deliver. We have expertise. um, We have actual experience and not just uh, people.
1: We're able to absolutely trailer our our training program. (laughs) Holy crap, I suck. We're able to tailor. We're able to tailor our training programs. Uh, even though I can't speak well, I can put together a very good training program based upon
0: what you need uh, and, and, and what you're going to encounter in your area. Right. And we also have the most cutting edge uh, equipment, tools. So we stay up to date on everything, obviously, because we're talking about it all the time.
1: If you're listening to us, it's probably because we're engaging. We bring that same energy into the classroom.
0: Yeah, and lifelong mind- mindset, adapt, innovate, thrive in the ever-changing world. So don't let your potential go untapped. Choose us as your training partner and embark on a personal and professional growth. Contact us at thehasmetguys.com slash hire us to reserve your spot and start your transformation. Ooh, like today. a butterfly. It's amazing. Back to the show. Go. All right. <laughs> I think you are up. Oh, am I? I think you are. Uh, all right. Students point of view. Get the best seats your organiz- organization can buy for the students. Wow. That's a good one.
1: It is a good one. And actually, funny enough, it was one of the first things I noticed walking into the into the 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 frontline training facility here. They first have line.
0: what's up? First line.
1: First line, what did I say?
0: Frontline, frontline. That's they make the dog. College.
1: Yeah, they're the dog collars, right? right? I've been itchy all day, so I'm thinking ticks and fleas. But uh, the seats, believe it or not, like it was one of the first yeah. things I went. Wow, Isn't they did nice. a really good job investing in good seats, comfortable nice. seats for for their their students. That means so so much. Um, just being able to, you know, if I'm sitting someplace for six hours, by the time I hit that six hour mark, like the material is going to suck. I'm going to be bored to death. Yep. If I'm uncomfortable as hell, that's going to just make the student experience Did, that much worse i'll
0: tell you uh, i don't know if it's bj's or costco or they have these plastic chairs they're not expensive and they are incredibly comfortable
1: oh they got the little ass pad yeah it yeah it's like a little like the depression for the the rumpus right so you don't have to spend a lot and you don't have to get anything fancy but it's important to think about your students
0: another thing is going to be your uh, placement of tvs right so you want the spacing to be well done Are you a fan – all right, real question. Are you a fan of having an additional monitor in the back of the room for the instructor to either A, see the presenter's view, which I think is a complete waste in the back of the room because you can't see the freaking notes if you had them. Right. But just seeing so I don't have to crane my neck left and right every single five seconds to look at what they're looking at.
1: Okay, well, this is is – my answer is going to be really kind of – I don't want to say self-serving, but it's definitely going to blow smoke up my own ass. I don't use the presenter's view because if you need to know what's coming up next on your slide, that means that you are relying way too heavily on the PowerPoint to teach your class. You have no clue what you're actually talking about. And if you need to read the notes, then you did not prepare yourself before class. So no, I personally don't like that. I do, however, like to be able to see the material that is being displayed to the students. That way I can reference the screen in, in real time. If I have something in front of me, I can be like, okay, look at line three, look at line two, let's look at this. It allows me to reference easier, Uh, but necessarily for me to be able to to view what slide is coming up next, to be able to to read the notes so the students think I know what I'm talking about. No, I find that totally useless.
0: All right. You heard it here, folks. Good stuff. Go. (laughs)
1: Uh, So we talked about the classroom setting for a little bit, right? Which is, the the, it's probably the, the... the spoke in the wheel of all things training. Uh, But as we start to go on and we move outside of the classroom, we start to talk about the hands-on activities Uh, and, you know, when we are setting up a training facility, when we're trying to think like, how can I get the most out of this space? Um, you need to be able to focus on hands-on to be able to get the, tr- the best training experience. So there are questions that need to be asked and answered uh, to, to produce the best possible result. And the biggest question you can ask myself is how can I set this up to make it as realistic as possible?
0: I like that. Okay, and also... So don't think just because you have a facility, you have it all covered. Like you're going to have to move or maybe even use the academy or, or the location a little bit differently. Like first of all, are you refreshing or is this a new new activity, new, new certification? Very different things because when you're refreshing, and this is, again, this is my little two story. Like if I'm refreshing, people will go, ah, we did this before. Well, maybe refreshers, you can't redo every year, but for new people, they've never seen that shit before. So yeah, you can do it over and over and over.
1: Right, and it, it, it changes your level as an instructor and somebody setting up the class, it changes your level of engagement to the student in that activity, right? So something that is a new activity, it's going to require different things. It's gonna require um, the instructor to be more involved with making sure that that student does it right all right. And you want those situations to be as real as possible. So they get the best knowledge and understanding. When you're talking about a refresher class, you just want to make sure that they've retained the information and that they see it again in a much less realistic format or, or a, a, a a less built up style so that you know that they can refer back to that initial training when the time
0: comes. And you want to do that in a, a setting that. They can visualize how the instructor will present to the individual student or maintain um, the presence in class. You don't want to separate the student from the class. The class participation during a hands-on or even if it's just watching the event again will help the student learn a new activity and setting up your training site so that this is critical. Uh, One thing I want to throw in there is what are your thoughts about recording for unforetold situations let's say a blizzard comes in or extreme heat where now we can still do some minor league hands-on skill sets but in a classroom setting i i don't think it's a primary i'm saying just this is the parachute for we fell out of the plane kind of thing
1: well i think i think recording hands-on activities for refresher style things is not necessarily that bad of an idea I think it's a great way to allow people to review information and visually see it. And as long as they have the proper hands-on training initially, that visual cue will help them trigger the memories of what they did during their initial. So that's why that initial hands-on is so critical that it has to be realistic. It has to be something that is situationally dependent because that's when their brain goes through their card catalog to, to, to perform an operation, that's what it's going to revert back to. The refresher is there to just make sure that the memory of that incident is is clear and accessible when they need it. I like it. So the 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 level of activity and the interaction of the instructor uh, to the student during a refresher class needs to be able to vary unlike an initial. Right? As an instructor, I don't want to waste my time on a student And their activity if they're strong in that activity right if they're weak in a particular area I want to be able to recognize that and I want to be able to bump up the refresher skill to match their memory loss in that activity Uh, and that holds true to all levels of refresher. So in setting up a training facility, the ability for this, for the instructor to be able to concentrate on the, on the student, as well as the class in general, that needs to be something that is, is, is focused on. I don't want my students to be breaking off into different sections where now I have to worry about what they're doing over here. At the same time, I'm trying to evaluate the skills of the student that's in front of me. Um, Even something as simple as where is the equipment coming from in the Hands-on, right? I don't need to be going to 50 different locations to try to pull, um, you know, the the different props that I need, the different materials. Uh, I'm gonna scatter my students. I'm gonna lose them, and it can be very, very difficult to perform a skill and activity uh, in an area um, when logistically everything is in different locations.
0: I love it, and we'll wrap this one up with the crew, your logistics guys, and. Huh. We've been to. All right. So we've, I've been to uh, classes that I was the logistics guys, which really stops the day every single time we get a reset and then instruct, reset and instruct. That's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, but if you can get a logistics guy, and I'm not saying that they reset, but also they know where stuff is. I, we've gone to locations where they're like, oh, Vic's off today. Like where, yeah. where is the bolts? I don't know, man. Yeah, or, or the
1: guy that doesn't know the A V, right? It's just the person who opens the door is literally just the the the, the, the 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 guy who works light duty there or somebody who just came in. They don't have a clue how the computer works, they don't have a clue about any of that. There's no paperwork, there's no instructors instruction for guest instructors. We are just left on our own to figure crap out.